And I have to say that the Christmas period has been a remarkable time for me in the Spirit of God. Somehow over that time, God has been reaching into my own life and situation and grasping my attention and speaking to me over and over again. And I've had to change my schedule in order to give more and more time to hearing the word of the Lord. And it's out of that that I'm bringing the message this morning for setting the tone and the direction and the spirit and the atmosphere of this coming year. So you'll, you'll understand the title as, it, as we go through the message. But I'm going to start with some verses here. Now, if technology works, we should get them coming up. I'm going to read this to you and then we'll pray. And someone said to him, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Amen. Let's pray, shall we? Now, let's not just do a prayer before a word, because that's what we always do. Let's open our hearts to God right now and ask him to help us. Amen. So we'll get this mic back on. Father, in these next few moments, speak to our hearts. Why don't you say this with me? Speak to my heart. Speak to my heart. Amen. Well, the background to this passage is this. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And he has people that follow him everywhere he goes as his followers. And then in the cities and in the towns, he has other people that can't do that because they've got children and jobs and good things like that in life. But they're eager and desperate to meet him when he passes through. And somewhere on that journey, someone, we don't know who, asks him what is probably the most awkward question of his whole life. And I was pointing out to my cell on Thursday, we don't know this guy's name. He probably wanted this question off the record because you wouldn't want your name put to it. And the question is so important, the Holy Spirit has recorded here for us all to understand and to be taught from today. And likewise, the question is so important that Jesus doesn't brush it off, doesn't say to the guy, well, you shouldn't be asking that sort of thing, especially in public. He says, I'll take that one. And he's willing to answer. Now, the question is this. I want to give you this as it's originally written. It says this, if or why... Few, the ones being saved. 
That's what the Greek literally says here. Why few the ones being saved? And here's something to learn straight away, which we'll come back to. Being saved is an action that is continuing during our lives. In the Greek language, you'll see it reflected there in the English and I hope in the Spanish. It's continuous. It's something that's happening to you every day. It's not something you did once back then when you gave your life to Jesus and that was it. There is an ongoing path with this. And it may strike you as odd, it certainly does me, that this guy has the the nerve to ask this question of Jesus. You see, I am willing for you to ask me this question. Well, why aren't there more people in our church, in all the churches? Why isn't the Christian message doing better in the UK or in other countries of the world at this time? Why isn't the Prime Minister a Christian, maybe? Or why isn't um, such a... Why aren't we seeing more? Why aren't we seeing more of the life and power of God? You may have asked yourself those questions. And if you have, good. It's not a bad question to ask. It shows a good heart. And this guy, I think, had a good heart. He was genuine and sincere. Yet, you see, I'm happy for you to ask me those questions, and I'm happy for me to ask me those questions, What I would be more reluctant to do is if Jesus was here in person, I don't know that I would actually have the nerve to ask him, especially in front of everybody else. Because you understand what it sounds like. It sounds a bit like, well, why isn't your ministry doing better, Jesus? I mean, you're in charge of this thing. We're all following you. You're the leader. You're driving this thing, you've got your hands on the steering wheel, yet when I look around, Jesus, this is such a good message, surely there ought to be more people signing up for it. Surely you should have more followers than this, Jesus. I mean, thank you for the ones we've got, Lord, but where are the rest? Isn't this what we're all about? There's almost an implied criticism. There's almost a kind of Shouldn't it be going better, Jesus? Shouldn't there be more fruit? Now, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, the Holy and Anointed One, and someone is daring to ask him, Lord, shouldn't you be doing better? Now, think about this for a moment. Jesus is the Son of God, the most perfect, submitted, on-fire-for-God person there has ever been in the history of the planet. He is more anointed, more inspired, a better preacher, a better teacher, a better caster out of demons, a better miracle worker, a better raiser of the dead, and and, uh, walker on water than there's ever been. And yet somebody's saying, not doing very well, are we? Shouldn't we be seeing more people get saved? Does that strike you as odd? Here's the good news. If he can ask Jesus, and Jesus is happy with the question, 
we can ask ourselves the question and ask him too. It's all right to ask that question. That's my conclusion from that. No lightning bolt came from heaven and fried this guy. He was okay. So we're going to do that this morning. We're going to look at that question. And I trust you may have asked yourself that a few times. You know, Lord, should my Christian life be going a bit better than this? Lord, should my family be in the Lord be going a bit, a bit better than this? Lord, what about the cell? Where's the growth? What about the church? What about the city? What about the nation? Shouldn't we doing be better, doing, doing better than this? Now, Jesus gives them an answer. I'm sorry, I've just stopped myself there. Where I come from, we say answer. But I, I automatically found myself saying answer there. I've been in Newcastle rather a long time now, and it's starting to affect me right deep down without my even trying. Answer. Can you believe it? I'll be saying bath next and grass. Watch out for that next week. So, is this all right? Can I say answer? Is that okay? You're happy with that? A few of you from the south, you may not understand, but you'll get there in the end. Rosie, pray for me. So, Jesus gives them this answer. And I want to look at it a little bit more. The first thing we need to notice from the answer is the audience. Who is Jesus speaking to? Because one guy asks him this question. But you'll notice in the Bible there, it doesn't say, and he said to him in front of everybody else to put him in his place. It says there, he said to them. He addressed his question and his answer. Sorry, he addressed his answer to all of them. He said, well, okay, one of you may have asked a question, but I'm going to give you an answer that everybody can tune into. So you're ready to tune in to the answer for this question. I promise you this, the answer to this question will answer every question you've ever had about your Christian life. I hope that's not too big a boast to make, but I promise you this sermon will do what it says on the tin. It will answer all your questions in one. He answered them. Now, in the Greek language, when it says he answered them, it does something unusual here. It changes one of the words that you would normally expect. It says he answers, and it uses a little Greek word called pros, which means towards them. Now, that may not seem very significant to you, but let me tell you where that word is used. In the beginning of John's Gospel, John says, speaking of Jesus, the word was with God, and the word was God. Now that word there, the word was with God. If you imagine this is God, my left hand here, and Jesus is my right hand, it says the word was pros, God. Now most commentators say that means face-to-face -face fellowship. It means intimacy. It means closeness. It means togetherness. It means fellowship. And it says here that Jesus answered the, all of them, pros them. He's face-to-face -face with them. He's in a good place with them. He's in fellowship with them. He's loving them. He's not cross with them. He's not telling them off. He's saying face-to-face. -face. Here's a great answer to a great question that's going to change your life. Tune in. It's okay between you and me. We're together in this thing. So he answers them in this way. You catch the heart and spirit of what Jesus is about. And then the second thing is, is what I call the order. It's actually an instruction, but order fits my series of letters rather better. And this is what he tells them. We'll see if technology works. Now it does. Do you know who these two people are? You 
you will have seen them this year if you were into the Olympics at all. This is Helen Glover and Heather Stanning. And they are just setting off on the women's coxless pairs for rowing. Seven minutes later, they will be on the top of their game, gold medal winners. That is the start of the most incredible seven minutes of their life, to row that race. Everything they've been about has got to this place. Now, one of them is, is a little bit older than the other. She's never going to get an Olympics again. This is it. And everything they've trained for, everything they've worked as a, as a pair and a team together for, is now resting on the next seven minutes. They've trained, they've dieted, they've sacrificed, they've worked and worked and worked. I don't know if you've ever seen run, uh, rowers actually practicing. We've got a rowing machine at home. Five minutes and I'm exhausted, 20 minutes and I'm clapped. Um, it's really hard work. And they have practiced month on month, year on year. All of their lives has brought them to this moment. And there they are at the start line. And everybody else has got there through the heats too. And I wonder what it felt like to be them right at that moment, just before the race started. Take your marks, or whatever they say in rowing. Get yourself ready. And they know in that next moment, the race of their lives is about to start. Can you imagine that? They must be sitting there holding those oars, thinking, if I make one mistake here, we're finished. In rowing, you can do something which is called catching a crab, where you put your oar into the water, and as you pull, you haven't dipped in deep enough. And as you pull towards you, the oar skips out of the water, and you fall backwards in the seat. If they did that just once, that's their whole career, everything they've worked for, the gold medal gone, finished. There is no room for mistake or error here. This is it. And they must have looked down that line there and looked at the Netherlands on one side and think, hey, those girls from Netherlands, they're pretty good. They rode hard to get here, and they looked down further, and the Canadians, they're always big and beefy. Well, the men, anyway. I don't mean the ladies. <laughs> and, you know, and if you're a Canadian, please forgive me, especially if you're a lady. And they must have looked at those other teams. I'm sure the Germans are in there, because the Germans normally win everything, at least if it's football, they do. And they must have looked at those other teams and think, we are up against the best here. This is not some second-rate lineup here. This is not one of the earlier heats. This is the creme de la creme, the top of the world, the best on the planet. We are up against them. And now we've got to race them. And everything, the whole of the British Isles is looking at us. Everything we've worked for is in this next moment. Now, that feeling has got a very special word in the Greek language. It's called to agonize. And Jesus says, agonize to enter the narrow door. You see, a contest on an athletics field is called in the Greek language an agon. When you run against somebody or you throw the javelin or you put the shot or you do whatever you do in your competition, that is the Greek word agon. And the feeling you get when you're ready to go out there and compete and take part is agony. Did you know that? That's where the word comes from. And Jesus says this, agonize, strive, work with everything you've got. Put your whole life into it. Work at it like nothing else counts. You can't make a mistake. You can't afford to get this wrong. 
This is your future, your destiny. The whole of heaven is watching you, and the whole of eternity is watching you right now, what you do in the next seven minutes. And that word is agonize. Agony. Seven minutes later, this is what they looked like. Yes, they did it. Now, if you're not British, you probably don't understand this next bit. But, you know, we, we, we like winning occasionally because we in Britain have made a career out of coming second and being happy about it. So this Olympics was good for us. And if you are British, well, God bless you. And if you're not, we just want you to celebrate with us. But they won. Do you know, when we get to the end of our lives in Christ, that's going to be your experience too. That's what you're headed towards. But in order to get there, Jesus says, you will need to agonize to do something. Now, the beginning of the answer to the question, why are so few people getting saved? Jesus doesn't say, well, you didn't give enough money in the last offering, or I need, a bit, I need to polish up my message a bit and include a few more funny stories. Or maybe we could do some more spectacular miracles, even the ones we have done. Maybe we should have a big healing crusade at the temple in Jerusalem. He says, you, you want more people to get saved? You want this message to be more effective? You want this gospel to really work? Agonize. Prepare yourself like everything depends on what you're about to do next. Because it does. Now, what is it we're called to agonize or strive or work hard about? Well, the scripture says in that passage we had there, we're to strive to enter through the narrow door. And the Greek language there describes this door as narrow. Another way of describing it would be cramped. This is not a big door. This is a small door. Have you ever been cramped? Ever sat in the car too long on a long journey and Legs start to ache because they're in one position too long. That's being cramped. Too bad if you're the driver, of course. There's nothing much you can do about it unless you stop. And that might trigger off in your mind another time that Jesus talks about a narrow door. And here it is. Jesus says in Matthew's Gospel, earlier in his ministry, he said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now, we've got some more insight from what Jesus means by talking about a narrow door here. And he starts with exactly the same word in the Greek as he does in the, in the, in the one we've just looked at. He says agonize and strive to enter. And he says it's a narrow gate. And he says, if you don't want the narrow gate, there's another gate. And the word he uses there is the word plateia. And it's coming to modern uses as the word plaza. Or piazza, if you like going to Italy. So, here we go. I'm going to take you to Italy now. Have a look at this. This is an Italian plaza or piazza. This is a platea. This is an uh, Italian city of Siena. I think you'll agree it's big. Is that right? It's broad. 
And Jesus says, you've got two choices in life. Now, most people would like three, but there are only two. There is this broad plaza, and it looks like that. And you can see there are hundreds of people milling about on it. There is room to do what you like there. You can set up a market stall. You can busk. You can drive a bus around if you really wanted to and do handbrake turns on it. I mean, there is plenty of room to behave or misbehave however you wish in that plaza. And you get this sense when you put the idea together of a, of a wide gate and a great big plaza like that, that there's no agonizing here. They should put a sign outside. There's no need to feel nervous here. There's no inner competition, inner struggle here. You give in to everything, you do what you like, and it's all really easy. But Jesus says, the alternative is narrow, and he uses another word there to describe what happens and it's the word to squeeze grapes when you make wine out of them. So that's how narrow this road is that we're on in, his, in him. It's crushed grapes tight. Now I'm going to try and illustrate this to you by coming up the stage illegally, up the front. And um, just so that you know I'm a Pharisee and I'm not a Pharisee, I can break my own rules. Perhaps that does make me a Pharisee, I don't know, but anyway, here we are now. Now, I need a few volunteers here to help me. Isn't it amazing that I don't even have to sort of tell anybody to say, okay, Jude and Paul, you stand, uh, you stand on this side. Now, I need Jesus here as well. John, you make a great Jesus. See, John's very saintly, isn't he? He makes a really good Lord Jesus. Jesus, you come. These are your Christian brothers here. You've saved them. Over here, this side. Now, this line represents... The, the line between being a Christian, here they all are over here, praying and praying and praying. And is, it, is it, Lord, is it always this hard to get your, your believers to pray? I think it is. They're praying and they're fellowshipping and they're being nice to each other. And they give each, the Lord, they're giving the Lord all their money and their time and everything else. And over this side are two couple of hooligans here. No typecasting here, okay? Now, many people think to become a Christian is like this. One day... Uh, let's say Paul comes under great conviction of sin. And he looks at his brother Jude over here and he thinks, oh, Jude, oh, I want to follow Jesus like you, man. You're just so together in life and you're just so handsome and happy and prosperous and I'm so miserable and ugly and awful and really, Jude, I just want to follow you. So to become a Christian, in most people's thinking, he thinks, well, all I've got to do is talk to Jesus and step over the line. Jesus, I come to you. Now, here I am. I can just hang about with these. Now, these guys are just hanging about right here. They're having a good time. He's hanging about right here. Let's have another heathen here. Andy, you'll make a good heathen. So these guys, come on, Owen and Robin, come on. Here's some more heathens here. So they're all milling around in here, having a, a bad time. Isn't it amazing how people have a bad time, and then they call it a good time? Have you ever noticed that? I've seen people having what they call a good time. I thought, if that's a good time, I'd rather have a bad one. And these guys are all hanging around over here. They're all milling around with Jesus. Listen, that is not how you become a Christian, and that is not what the Bible means. Did you know that? You're not stepping out of one hanging around to step into another kind of hanging around. This is not about hanging around. There is a line 
But it doesn't work like this. Okay, if you guys sit down a second, I'll just take Jesus and Paul here. John and Paul. Okay. The line works like this. You see, here's the line. And it works in a different way. Let's leave that there now. Paul and John, come and stand here. Now, see, here's Paul, and he wants to meet Jesus. So, Jesus, let that go. Stand and face him. Just stand there at the beginning of the line, like that. On the line. Here's Paul. And he says, Jesus, I see how wonderful and together my brother uh, Jude is. And I want to be like him. I want to walk in your ways. What do I have to do? And Jesus says, well, you have to enter through the narrow gate. And that's going to take some striving. So, Paul, you're going to have to take your shoes off. And Jesus, so are you here. I'll show you why. You see, there is a line... Leo's got some like that. <laughs> He's got socks with towels on here, but there are no holes in them. So he doesn't, he doesn't need a wife yet. They're right, John. And John's going to show him how to walk this line, you see, because what he does, he said, if you want to be my follower, then follow me. And this is like a tightrope here. You get one foot on at a time, and off you go. Now, you can have something for balance. You don't want to take with you baggage, weights, junk, Rubbish, hurts, pains, past relationships. Listen, you're not going to stay on that line. The only thing you're allowed with you for balance. Anybody got a Bible? Here we are. You know, like walkers have these poles? Here, here's his Bible to keep him balanced. He's getting one in each hand. That's it. It's like the pole. This is what the Christian life is. This is the line. It's not some sort of hang around afterwards. It's not another one of those on the other side of the door. Okay, gentlemen, thank you very much. You can go put your shoes on and sit back down. Thank you very much. Here's another view of that same uh, piazza. That's the Broadway. And Jesus said a lot of people go there. Now, the picture I'm going to show you next is of an entrance to a museum. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a large public building like a library or an exhibition or a museum. But you would expect the door to be very, very wide, like something along there. Here is the entrance to a museum. I found this uh, little sort of like photo diary of somebody, and one of their family members decided to take them to a museum when they're on holiday. There are two kinds of people in life, those that like to go to museums on holiday and those that don't. You've probably got one in your family and were made to suffer as well. I will not say any more because I refuse to incriminate myself. But... Um, Sometimes it's a good thing to go and do things on holiday, not just sit around. Uh, <laughs> I've just redeemed myself, okay? And do I hear an amen? Right, okay. So this young lady gets taken to the museum, and when she gets to the front door, this is what it looks like. That's the door into the museum. I kid you not. And she says to her, her fiancé, you've got to be kidding me, right? Well, he says, no, that's how you get in. You see, this museum is in Vietnam. And it's about uh, the war days when the war was going on with America there. And this is an underground shelter and series of uh, like rooms and tunnels. And so this is how you got in to escape the bombing above. So she said, well, I won't fit through there. I cannot get in a doorway that narrow. So her boyfriend says, you can do it. No, I can't. Yes, you can. No, you can't. Usual kind of argument. But praise God, the man won. 
That doesn't happen very often, but it did in this case. So she gets in it. She says in her diary, she says, once I got my hips through, let's go back. Once I got my hips through, I was fine. So here she is. And she's actually doing it. She didn't think she would, but she's managed to squeeze herself in. And there you are. There's her shoulders. There we are. She did it. Enter by the narrow door. Now, that was a strive for her. That was an agonizing. I see some of you looking at me like you don't like being stuck in lifts. It's like this feeling of claustrophobia here, isn't there? It's a sort of, oh, would you really do that? You're probably wondering what's on the other side, aren't you? Let me show you. This is her fiancé. Uh, this is what you drop down into. You see this space there, but it's a narrow way. There's no... Italian plaza here. It's wide enough for you to walk, and that's about it. Now, let me see if I can show you another way of illustrating it. Here's a church in Israel. This is the church of the nativity in Bethlehem. And you see all these people here. They're going to see this. This is the spot, apparently, where Jesus was born. I say apparently, this was all worked out in the 4th century by Helena, the mother of King Constantine, and we don't know she got it really right. But supposedly, this is where Jesus was born. Let's say it is. So all of those people want to get to see this, and here's the tremendous kind of inside of the church, what you see there, and you can see the door in the floor we've got to go through to get down to there. And here's what happens. If you go on a busy day... There are lots of queues at the outside door. And then actually to go through that little door there to get in to see the spot where Jesus was actually supposedly born. Now take a look at this view of the outside of the church. There's all the outside. Can you see the door there? Can you see the door in the church? It's down in the bottom right-hand corner here. Left-hand corner here. Other left, other right, yes. Down the bottom left-hand corner here. Funny, I thought I heard the Lord say left there. It's just a little voice. It's down that bottom left-hand corner here, on my right, your left. Can you see that little doorway there? That's the doorway into the whole church. It's actually called the Door of Humility. as a name. Let me just get closer for you. Now, take a look at this. This is a close-up. Can you spot something about that door, if you can see the photo well enough? It used to be bigger, didn't it? Somebody has actually filled it in and made it narrower. Now, that is a great picture. Keep that in your hearts and minds. Here's how it looks in relation to human beings. Here's a couple of average-sized guys there. And it's about sort of throat height. So to go in, you've got to do this. You've got to bend down. And if you want to access all that amazing inside of the building and see where Christ was born through this narrow door. And I think that serves us well as a picture of what this is all about. Listen, the way in is the way it continues. The way in is the way it continues. It's grape-like squeezed all the way along. It's narrow all the way along the way. You don't just start at a narrow 
and then get suddenly big. Now, I think the view from there is fantastic. You can see incredible things. It's big and expansive in all that you come across. But the way to walk is no wider than the shoulders of Jesus. That's because it's a narrow door and a great squash squeezed way. And if any of us are ever to be the ones being saved, and do you remember we said that earlier on, that the scripture talks about why so few the ones being saved. When you start on the line, we talk about that as giving your life to Jesus. But as you walk that line, you are in the process of being saved day by day until you get to the end of your seven-minute race called your life. And then you get the goal. Is that right? Is that the way this works? And you know what tightropes are like. They're very hard to get onto. A lot of agonizing. And very easy to fall off. A lot of agony. You catch my drift there. If we're ever to walk that walk and enter through that narrow door and keep on that narrow path, then this is the way we have to do it, by agonizing. And by doing the same as those Olympic gold medalists did, giving our all to make this thing work. That's what Jesus means. Now, if you're feeling right now, oh, oh, is that a bit serious? Oh, oh, if you're feeling a bit worried, you're feeling a bit anxious, good. You're agonizing. That's the right feeling. If you're thinking, oh, that's all right, bad. That's not the right feeling at all. You'll never win Olympic gold through being complacent. Now, the fourth thing I want to talk about is the obstacle to the, to the order, to Jesus' command there. And he helps us understand something about this process of agonizing and enter the gate and, or the door, and the same way he helps us understand something about why so few are the ones being saved along that line. He says this, he says, I tell you, Many will seek to answer and will not be able. Did you know a lot of people come and poke their heads in the door? A lot of people look at that little museum entrance there and think, well, I'd like to get in the museum. Let's just put my head down through here and see what it looks like inside. Oh, this looks interesting. It's a bit cramped down there, though. Well, are you going to go through the door? Oh, no. I couldn't do that. And somebody else says, well, well, if you're not going to do that, can you get out of the way so I can get through? And they slide through. We were underground in St. Gerasimus' cave. St. Gerasimus, as you all know, is your most important patron saint because he's the patron saint of Kefalonia, the little island where Antonia's dad was born, where her family originates from. And we went down through a ladder and a little trap door into this Square room, it must have been only a few feet wide, maybe six or eight feet wide, something like that, two or three meters wide. And there were a few other people, and it was already getting hot and stuffy, and I was thinking, oh, I'm fine. Trying not to show to Sally, I was a little bit sort of feeling a bit constricted and squashed like a grape. 
All these people down there. So after a couple of minutes, I get used to it. Oh, this is okay. I can do this. I just hope there's not a fire. It'll be a mad scramble up that ladder. You can see the little... Have you done this? You've been to that island a few times. You're married to a lady from Kaplan. You could do this. And you look up at this doorway here, and you think, it looks narrow, and I've come through it. And the chamber I'm in is narrow. You think, but I can handle this. And then I heard this incredible kerfuffle. And what happens is, as I look through the legs of the people, on the floor, there's a man lying on the floor. At least his head was. Now, don't mean say his head's come off. He was appearing through like a letterbox opening in the floor at the bottom and scrabbling along the floor. And I realized we weren't in St. Gerasimus' prayer closet at all. This was only the outside chamber. The real prayer closet was a room the next size, next door. We're underground, remember, but it's through a little chamber, probably about this high. Not big. Do you know St. Gerasimu couldn't get in there with any baggage in life? I thought I was doing quite well at that point. And this guy's, he squeezed all the way in. He came, ah, ah. That wasn't bad. He was British as well. Yes, hallelujah. So that'll do. I'll, 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 I'll have a vicarious experience with him. He can do it for us all. Now, there was a wee lassie there, and uh, she was quite tall, and she was dressed in like white jeans and white top. I thought, there's no way she's going to scramble on the floor and pull herself through there. She'd get filthy. I mean, this is just like rock. It's rubbish. You see, it's narrower than we think. And I took one look at that, and I thought, I think I'll just leave it here. I'll say I've done the St. Gerasim experience. This is good enough for me, thank you very much. I won't go quite all the way. Did you know there's a mountain in Wales called Trevan? And at the top of it, there are two large slabs of boulders. It's 3,010 feet high. And the, the 10 feet is two large slabs of rock. And one's called Adam and one's called Eve. Must have been a Christian that climbed it the first time. And then, come here. And what I'm saying is true, isn't it? So these rocks are about 1.2, 1.3 meters apart, about four or five feet apart. And when you look down the sides, it's kind of two and a half thousand feet that way and two and a half, three thousand feet that way. It's very narrow. It's like a knife edge like that. And these rocks are apart, and they're not flat. They're, sort of, they're, about, they're tilted, and they're about the size of, I don't know, about, about, about a meter in diameter, something like that. So, Ben, what did you do? He climbed upon one of the rocks. What did you do? He jumped with Richard. And that's the test of your nerve. Well, there were loads of people up there that day. Lots of people watching. But only Richard and Ben jumped it at that point. I didn't know whether to be proud of them or to send them to a psychiatrist to have their heads examined. I was proud of them. It was risky. Being a good dad, I was thinking, what happens if they fall here? Do I have to get a helicopter? Do they break that? Oh, don't slip. Don't. It must have been agony standing on that rock thinking, shall it? was it Jumen? Was it apprehensive? Shall I or shan't I? Well, listen, Jesus said, that's how it is with the narrow door. That's how it is with the narrow way. That's how it is with what I'm calling you to. Lots of people stick their head in. Lots of people look at it and say, oh, that looks really interesting. Oh, is that how narrow it is? And he says, the reason they don't do it, the, the normal English translation says, they're not able to. But the Greek word, iskuo, means strength. 
They lack the strength to step through the narrow door. How about that? What kind of strength are we talking about here? The strength to sign up for agonizing, to make it. The strength of purpose to commit your way to a narrow way. The strength of character to say no when everybody else is saying yes, and yes when everybody else is saying no. Jesus said, if you want to walk this way with me, and you don't summon up the strength, you'll never, ever, ever be able to make it. You'll look in the door like the many, say, this looks really good, but I couldn't pay the price. I couldn't agonize like that. I couldn't give myself to that. I want to be on the plaza where I can have my baggage with me. I can keep my attitudes of defeat. I can keep my unforgiveness. I can keep my broken heart. I can keep my feelings. I can keep my half-baked Christian behavior or whatever it may be. I can keep that relationship. I can keep that past thing and it'll be all right. Listen, you can have all the baggage you like in that plaza. You saw how big it was. But if you go through this narrow door, you have to leave it all outside. Now, why do some people say they feel stuck in their Christian life? Pastor, I don't feel I'm really going anywhere with God. I feel stuck. Take a look at this guy. This is a Brazilian. They speak a different language to the rest of South America. They speak Portuguese. So it's all right, to, all right for us to make jokes about the Brazilians today. No, I'm only joking. It's una broma. Disculpe. So he's a Brazilian, and he is trying to escape from prison. And he's made himself a hole in the wall. That's about as big as he can make it in the time he's got. When the guards came along in the morning, this is what they found. You see, he's got stuck because he is too broad for the narrow way. Now, he got his shirt off even. That didn't work. Do you know, I think in the story, he even oiled his body to try and slip through the opening but to no avail. See, that's what happens if we try to walk this narrow way and go through this narrow door with stuff stuck to our lives that doesn't fit down there. We get stuck. So Jesus' answer is this. Number one, all of us have to give ourselves to this process of salvation. It has a narrow entrance. It's cramped and squeezed. It means leaving out and leaving behind everything of the old. The old attitudes, the old ways, the old patterns of thinking, the old ways of thinking about yourself, your past old relationships, old wants, old priorities, old dreams and ambitions. It's 
all got to be left at the door because if you don't leave it at the door, this is what will happen to you when you try to enter the narrow way. The second thing, once we are through the door, it stays narrow. It stays squashed like a grape. It stays a narrow way. We can't ever go back. It doesn't open out to become another plaza where we can then just hang out and do what we like. And here's the third thing. If, like the man that asked the question, we want to see this gospel work, we want to see not just a few being saved, but many more people being saved. If we carry that question in our heart, say, Lord, why doesn't this Christian life seem to be working better for me, in my experience, and for others? Why? Jesus' answer to us is this. You go narrow. You go narrow. Now, here's a curious thing. Most people want to go broad. Do you know most churches want to go broad? I saw it in the uh, newspapers again this weekend. The answer to so few being saved, well, let's make ourselves wider and more appealing. Let's put aside issues of righteousness and godliness and just take anybody. Let's not have any lines, a long ways or crossways. Let's just get rid of all the lines. Then anybody can be it. Doesn't work. Jesus said, the answer to more effectiveness of the gospel in our own lives and in others is for you and me to go narrow and walk a narrow way. And as we do, the answer to the question will come. So here's our thought for 2011. Just testing. <laughs> Want to see if you're still awake. And 2012, and 2010, and 2013, and 2014, for every year and every day of our lives from now on. See, however you've got to today, that's one thing. But praise God, you have an amazing opportunity right now in these next few moments to be at the starting line like those two Olympic rowers were. Right now, the next few minutes can make all the difference. We're lined up again. This is our moment to go forward in a brand new way. Here's my question for you right now, tomorrow morning for the whole of this year. How narrow can I go? I've been spending Christmas thinking about that for me. I've got pages of notes on my iPad about what that means for me. What does narrow look like for me? What does narrow look like for you? How narrow can you go for him? I want to be so narrow that I don't scrape the sides of the wall when I go through that opening. I want to be so narrow that I'm not unbalanced when I'm walking that narrow way. I want to be so narrow that I please him. I want to be so narrow so that the many do get saved. Because my being narrow is the key to their being narrow. Can you hear that? Lord, why are so few being saved? 
Go narrow. Go narrow. Go narrow. Agonize. Be apprehensive, but do it. Put your best into it. Work hard. Give it everything you've got. Have the strength of purpose, the strength of heart, the strength of character. And you will be saved. Amen? Let's pray, shall we? I want to ask you a very simple question right now. Does anyone today want to go now? Does anyone see in their heart by the grace of God? And let me say this. If you see this, I believe God will give you the help and the heart and the strength we spoke about to do it. Does anyone see a narrow door in front of them? Does anyone see a narrow way stretching out ahead of them? Does anyone see that this is the answer to all their questions? To go narrow with him. Well, I want to go narrow. By God's grace, I'm going narrower than before. And you can too. Now, you can go narrow for the first time in your life if you've never given your life to Jesus. You can step to that door now and say, Jesus, I'm leaving it all behind. Take me now into your arms. Take me into your life, like we showed Paul doing earlier with John here. And you can go narrow if you're a Christian, but let me say this to you. Before you think, I want to go narrow, there are loads of you in this room here who carry patterns of thinking which have got to stay the other side of the door. You can't go through the door unless you resolve now to leave that thinking behind. Some of you have such negative thoughts about yourself. You see yourself as God does not see you, as broken and defeated and of little value and worth and unable to do things. That's not the narrow way. That has to stay outside the door. It will prevent you from walking the narrow way. Some of you see yourselves as your hips are too big to get through that opening. Your, your work is too busy for you. Your pressures in life keep you back. Well, they will. But you know what? You can give those over to Jesus and slide through that narrow door without setting aside. It's got to be left behind. Please don't respond if you're just going to be the same old person. Please don't respond if you're going to carry the same thoughts. And you know what? Some of you I'm going to ask you, if I see you stand up, I'm going to ask you, have you left that behind? So be prepared for a challenge. Because this is about really making a difference. This is about the grace of God and the help of God following our lives through this year. And this is about a different year to 2011 or 2012 or any other year we've had. This is about following him more closely and loving him more than ever before. That's what this year is about. Now, if you really want that, if you want to go now, I'm going to invite you to stand in front of him, not me. You can stand now if you want to say, Jesus, I want narrow with you. Thank you. I'm going to come down and stand as well. I definitely want narrow. In fact, I'm going to stand at the beginning of my line here.
Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, we want you now. Jesus, let's begin to call out to him. Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, let me step onto your narrow way in a whole new way. Let me get out of that broad plaza and be in through that narrow door. Leave behind what I've been dragging with me all this time. Jesus, I want your narrow way. Jesus. Lord, we thank you now. The doorway is open for anyone who believes. The Bible says that anyone who believes, whosoever will may come, anyone can come and step through that narrow doorway and walk that narrow path. And Lord, thank you. What we find there is not restriction, is not pressure. Our chains are released. Our burdens are lifted. We actually find the freedom we were singing about. We actually find the peace we always wanted. We actually find the joy and rejoicing we're looking for. Lord, thank you. That's what's on the other side of the door. You. You're there. And all these things are in you and with you. Lord, I want to thank you now for every person standing this morning. I pray for them, Lord, that 2013 will be the narrowest year of our lives together. Lord, I pray it'll be so narrow, but so good. And I pray, Lord, that as a result, it won't be just the few who are being saved, but many more too will be the ones being saved because they can see it in us and they can see it's really happening in us and it's really working for us, Lord, but it only really works when we're narrow. And Lord, I pray for that spirit of narrow, that spirit of choice, that spirit of release, to be honest right now. God, I want to walk your narrow way. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I'm just going to give us a moment now to pray our own prayer to the Lord. Tell him what's in our heart. Tell him what we're thinking. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. That's the narrow way. Lord, I want to thank you that as we're praying right now, there's an exciting year ahead of us. We've had great promises, a 10 in one year, miracles of a type we've never seen before. Lord, I really believe there's going to be more of the miraculous than we've ever seen before as we go narrow with you. Father, I really believe there's going to be more awesome inspired worship than we've seen ever before. More gifts of the Spirit and prophecies and tongues and interpretation because we're going narrow with you. Lord, I believe there'll be more intercession of a passionate, breakthrough, earth-shaking type because we're going narrow with you. I believe there'll be many more lives changed because we're going narrow with you. I believe our own lives will be radically different and utterly transformed because we're going narrow with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the words of that song, Take the World but give me Jesus. Lord, I want to speak it over us all now. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Why don't we say that together if you really mean that's your prayer. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Do that once more. Take the world, but give me Jesus.
Amen. Let's give him a great round of applause. He's worthy. Thank you. Lord.